Peace to you. Welcome to the Living Water Chapel, formerly Naked Truth. Um, we're going to pick up where we left off in the book of Acts, chapter 14. If you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke for the, that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. So, the book is the book of Acts. I think it's um, Luke who's the author of it, who's the scribe. Um, but in this verse one, we don't know who he's referring to. Or, you know, it could be Saul, it could be some of the other disciples. They're unnamed. But apparently some believers are traveling through this area of the world. Um, and it's a mixed multitude. As you see, it's um, Jews and Greeks. And when it says Greeks here, most likely it's people who are also of Jewish descent who live in Greece. I think they call them Hellenists um, previously in this book of Acts. Verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. So Gentiles are people who are not Jewish, like basically anybody else. So they're saying that uh, one was stirred up against the other, um, but to stir not the stir up trouble against the Christian believers. The uh, blossoming Christian church. Verse 3, therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, wanting signs, I'm sorry, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So again, we don't know who's being referred to, but it's clearly more than one saying they are being, um, are performing, performing miracles, not by their own means, but through the grace of God, according to the scribe. Verse 4. While the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. See there it says the apostles is who are being tormented, but not naming them. Uh, so it could actually be referring to some of the original 12, um, but it could be, could be others, it doesn't say. Verse 5. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews, with their rulers to abuse and stone them, so the new Christians are in danger. Sort of the same way Jesus was, just like Jesus told us uh, it would be that um, if they been did him that way, what do they got for us? They're gonna do us the same way. Um, so it's happening to the early Christians. Verse six: They became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derby cities of Laconia and to the surrounding region. So as always, please forgive me if I mispronounce or mispronounce any of these. They fled for their lives, the, the apostles did, verse 7, and they were preaching the gospel there. So they went someplace else and they're preaching there. They didn't stop preaching, just went somewhere else. It seems like these probably are some of the original disciples um, or at least people who have heard that heard the gospel, since that's the same approach Jesus tells us to take when um, the gospel isn't accepted somewhere. Dust off the feet and keep it moving. Paraphrasing, but that's basically what Jesus says to do, and that's what they're doing. And it's funny how in life these things happen. Somebody at work um, likes to talk religion with me. They're of a different faith. I don't know what his faith is. I'm guessing it's Catholic by the things he says and the things he says he believes. Um, but we've had again and again discussions about how what it is he believes. 
It's in the Bible, but it's not Christian. And because the things he believes, whether it's uh, like the, the 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 first one of the first things that came up was abortion, and now he believed you have to protect life, um, no matter what life it is. I said, well, if you believe that, how can you believe the Bible where it doesn't call it an abortion, but it describes an abortion and tells you the terms? And we've gone over over it here that you go to the priest and the priest performs the abortion. It's just performed in a different way, and it's performed. If a man thinks his wife is cheating on him or has cheated on him and has gotten pregnant that way, if he thinks the baby's not his, he can go to the priest and the priest will give her a potion. She can drink it. She has to. She has no choice in it. And if she's cheated, the baby will abort. And uh, it's described as her thigh will rot. That's the euphemism for she'll lose the baby. And um, if not, then the baby will be healthy and fine and it's her husband's. It's an abortion. It's just not called an abortion. The same way uh, homosexuality is in the Bible. It's just not called homosexuality. Transgender is in the Bible. It's just not called transgender. It's because our language is alive. The languages of the Bible, some of them are dead. So the words they used then, they won't use now. They're not going to change. Verse 8, but they mean the same thing. Verse 8, and Lystra, a certain man, Without strength in his feet was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. So another part, another person in another area is um, crippled and he's never walked. So presumably from childhood, he's always had that condition. Verse 9, this man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. So now notice how if you're reading a New King James Version like I am, you see there was a heading to let us know there's a break in the story, a change, a new subtitle. It says idolatry at Lystra. And now we get introduced to someone by name again, Paul um, specifically, not just any of the apostles generally, but him specifically. So. We, I would not conflate the first part of this chapter with this part, assuming that the first part was uh, talking about him. Assume nothing. Um, so verse 9. Um, so Paul has noticed him in verse 9. He noticed the man who's, who's uh, disabled. Verse 10. So Paul is approaching him. He's going to, he said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped up and walked. So just like that, um, Paul commanded someone to stand up on their feet and a person leapt up and walked. I mean, they're saying he was crippled from birth, so it's not like he could have walked before. So clearly something miraculous happened and he's able to walk. He's able to stand again. Um, so let's see what goes on from there. Verse 11. Now when the people saw that Paul had, what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. So clearly, the people of Laconia are not monotheistic. They believe in more than one god. They are worshiping lots of different entities, most likely, just like they have throughout the Bible from Genesis to this point. They're not. It's not a one god book. The book is full of different entities that people worship as their god, um, and it seems you get a menu. You get to choose which one you believe, if you're going to believe any of them, are your God. As a Christian, I believe the part of the Bible that's from God are the red letters. Like I said again in the end, 
And that's just the tithe of the Bible, only a tenth. The rest of the Bible, you can still believe it, but it's not Christ. It's not Christ's message, and Christ brought us the message as we Christians. Um, Jesus says, from God directly, not any of the rest of the people in the Bible. None of the rest of the people uh, were crucified and resurrected. Jesus did. So why would anybody else's word take precedent over his if you're a Christian? Verse um, 11 shows they think they have the gods making an appearance to them since he was able to, a miracle was performed in his hand. Verse 12, and Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. So Hermes and uh, Zeus are Greek, if I think, if I remember, Greco-Roman gods, entities that people worship um, back then and some people still do now. Um, and that's who the crowd thinks that Paul and Barnabas are. Again, remember, Paul and Barnabas were not disciples of Jesus. They were not any of his original 12 or beyond disciples. Um, but miracles are being performed at their hands. Also remember, Jesus said false Christs and false prophets would arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So keep that in mind, I would suggest. Verse 13, then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their, their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with, multi, with the multitudes. So they see the miracle that's happened, they're thinking, time to make an animal sacrifice to give praise. Um, they want to give praise to Zeus. Verse 14, and who did you say Hermes? You know, just like the high-end fashion brand. Verse 14, I guess it'd be Hermes. Verse 14, but when the apostles Barnabas and Saul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out. So now Paul and Barnabas see the people are um, getting ready to make animal sacrifices to them since they think that God has shown up with them. Gods have shown up to them and are performing miracles for them. So it seems Paul and Barnabas are um, kind of outraged that that's happening. What are they going to say or do? Let's see, verse 15. And saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. So um, Paul and Barnabas, um, not sure which one, uh, it, they tore their clothes, both of them, but clearly both of them aren't speaking. So I don't know which one is speaking, but whoever it is is saying that the people should stop. Don't make those sacrifices that that's, um, they're call, basically calling it nonsense and that they're wasting their time with animal sacrifices, that that's not really what finding God is about. Verse 16, who in bygone generations allow all nations to walk in their own ways. Um, so whoever this is speaking is saying that in the past, God allowed people to have their own beliefs and um, do what they thought was right. We know that's not true according to the Bible. According to the Bible, um, people doing what they think is right was what would tick God off again and again, and would, they would be given orders that are contrary to the Ten Commandments, like stalk people, kill them, massacre them, and steal their land, all kinds of things like that. 
even though it's contrary to the Ten Commandments. So I'm, whoever is speaking in verse 16, is it really being honest? That's not the way the scriptures read. Verse 17, nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, and that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So that doesn't make sense either. According to Christianity, what Jesus tells us, God sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So, of course, there's going to be rain. Of course, there's going to be dryness, heat, summer. It's going to happen to anyone under heaven. Um, so that's not really a sign uh, from God that God is with them in their faithfulness. And again, according to the scriptures, they got called out. They being the people uh, that Jesus was born into. Uh, were called out again and again for being unfaithful to those same commandments and orders and things that were laid out according to them by God. But let's keep reading. Verse 18, And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. So the people are misunderstanding, apparently, what's being said. They're thinking that, wow, they speak so righteously. They must be God for sure, and they're still trying to make animal sacrifices to them. Excuse me. Verse 19. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So presumably that's who was doing the talking. And apparently ticked off the people. Um, it, it says, I guess this is, it doesn't quite make sense the way it's written, I guess. Because if we go back to where, um, let's see, back a few verses where we talk about the people. Okay, verse 11 says, Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. So it's not saying who those people are. We saw that it says it's Jews and Greeks in the different areas that they're visiting. So I'm not really sure why it would be who it is that it's referring to in verse 19 when it says, oh, okay, the ones specifically from Antioch and Iconium that came there. So I guess they weren't a part of the ones um, who they were preaching to or testifying to, doing the miracles for, performing for. I guess they weren't a part of them. So they've shown up, and there's, they've stoned Paul. Um, if you don't know what that is, that's when people, a community, a society is so outraged with you that they pick, literally pick up stones and cast them at you to try and kill you, or at least punish you. And Jesus tells us, without he who's without sin, let him throw the cast the first stone. So the people who are doing this clearly aren't Christian. Um, it even says it there, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium. So they're of the same faith, presumably, that Jesus was born into, but did not preach. Verse 20, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derb. So um, the people who stoned Paul figured, thought he was dead. They dragged him out of the city and presumed he was dead, I guess. He either acted dead or was passed out from the, the stoning. Whatever the case may be, when the disciples got around him, he got back up again and joined them and went to another area. Derb. 
or Derby, however it's properly pronounced, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So they went to Derb and preached there, and it says the gospel. So presumably that's the red letters. So presumably it's some of the original apostles doing some of this preaching or some of the people who heard them carrying on since it's specifically being called the gospel. The good news. Verse 12, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Amen to that. It seems like that's surely true. Wish it weren't, but it really does seem true. true. If you're faithful, truly faithful as a Christian, it seems God has things lined up in your, our paths so that we will experience certain things. They're called tribulations in this verse. I think that's an excellent word for it. <laughs> it seems like that's exactly what it is. Um, but the disciples are being strengthened with the words that they're being told. So that much is good. Verse 23. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commanded them to the Lord, commended them to the Lord, excuse me, in whom they had believed. So it sounds to me like what's happening is the organization, the organization, not so much of the church, but because these kind of systems are not what Jesus commanded. Jesus said it's not supposed to be like that as Christians. He said um, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, but it's not supposed to be like that um, among us. And yet that's exactly what it seems like is happening, that they're setting up systems of, um, of a hierarchy and that sort of thing, as we've read in the Old Testament, breeds corruption. But maybe not. Let's keep reading. Verse 24. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. So they're on the move. Again, don't know who, because it's not saying who specifically is moving in this case. Maybe it will. Verse 25. Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. So um, they're on the move from more areas, preaching the word. Verse 26, from there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. So I'm not sure who's commending them to the grace of God, presumably the organization, church that's being organized, uh, is basically giving them credit, giving them their flowers for um, their uh, evangelism. Not like evangelicals in modern times where they just dump a Bible and protest for nonsense, not actually leading anyone to Christ. But actually, in this case, what we're reading about, they're actually spreading the gospel, it seems. Verse 27, now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So this seems to me, again, doesn't make sense. That they're saying that the opening the door of faith to the Gentiles, Jesus did that in his ministry. Like he said before he left in Matthew, make disciples of all the nations. So it doesn't make sense that now they're acting like, okay, the invitation to salvation is open to anyone. Like it's news. It is the good news. That's what God's spell gospel means. But uh, it's not really new. Jesus was doing that in his ministry. 
But it's good that's what the disciples are continuing to do. Verse 28. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So again, it's not sure who they is. Presumably, I guess it's the same. They're staying with the disciples. If they're saying the disciples are some of the original 12, then the they that they're referring to is probably Paul and Barnabas, or, or Saul, Paul, whichever one you prefer, and Barnabas. But if they were not, they could be referring to anyone in general who's made it to this area, done their trek, and made it back to the disciples as a whole, the uh, original ones and the ones who had joined the faith. It's not really clear which one um, is being referred to there. That is the last verse in this chapter, so that's where we'll end this part of the reading. As always, so that we now get some red letters, we're going to um, pick up where we left off with the book of Matthew, um, the passage, I think, I think it's E, Matthew chapter 5, and it's, let me count them, sorry, let's see, burn, the Beatitudes was the first one. Christ fulfills the law was the second. Murder begins in the heart was the third. You did that one, I remember. Adultery in the heart, um, that's the fourth. Remember that one too. So we're up to marriage is sacred and binding. Um, so that's Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Um, so if you want to read along with me, let's pick up there with verse 31. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. So Jesus is talking about divorce here now. Same thing in now in modern times where people make vows to stay together till death do them part. And then they don't always do that. Sometimes they don't make it. Um, so that's what's being referred to. And it's Jesus talking since it's red letters. And he's referring to what we call the Old Testament where... Um, it says the terms that you can get a divorce under. So, but now Jesus is letting us know how, what the terms are for Christians as far as divorce goes. Um, verse 32, but I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. Whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Okay, so let's take that. Oh, I'm sorry. I was trying to pause it, but it looks like they've changed how it works. So we'll just go ahead and keep reading. So uh, Jesus is saying when it comes to divorce, the acceptable reasons for divorce is are sex is sexual immorality. But that's not what we what you might think it is. And that's what I meant to do. With these red letter parts, we're going to now start using the King James Version rather than the New King James Version. Because although it is easier to read, there's so many changes that take place in the scriptures. Like switching to the New, switching to the King James Version, there's no heading at all. And it reads, it hath been said, whoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. So it's the same um, um, there that's talking about divorce. But verse 32, look how it reads in the King James. But I say to you that whoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. Whoever shall marry her that is divorced, committed adultery. 
So the word switched from sexual immorality to fornication. And uh, the thing about, I guess the point I'm making about that is adultery isn't what necessarily what you think of it in East, in biblical terms, the way we think of it in modern terms. Because in the Bible, a man could marry as many wives as he wanted, as many as he could afford. And he could also have as many side pieces, prostitutes, and even in some cases, boys as he wanted to, as long as they weren't the property of someone else. That's right there in the scriptures. We've read them. So when it talks about adultery, it's not talking about it in the same way of um, in the Old Testament, uh, in verse 31, in the sense that a man can do what he wants and a woman is under under the, a different um, standard. Jesus is sort of leveling the playing field here, making it clear that either one, the man or the woman, the husband or the wife, either partner in the contract who steps out of it and it says for fornication that's not necessarily what we think of as adultery because there are people who have open marriages they have it where they invite other people into their marriage sexually and otherwise even for love or whatever affection and time so to them they're not betraying each other sometimes people do it when one of their when their spouse is passing away or sick they'll invite someone else to comfort their spouse because they care not because they want their spouse to fall in love with someone else or to cheat on them. They don't see it that way at all. So in their contract, that's not cheating. So I think it's important. I mean, I think I keep it in, in mind when it comes to understanding marriage, divorce, and all of that. Um, and um, as far as what Jesus tells us the terms are, but he's going to go take it even further. And we might as well stay here since we're in the King James Version, because it goes further with the same idea about making promises and not keeping them. Verse 33, again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. So what Jesus is talking about here is promises, making promises, swearing to do this, and um, make even the Pledge of Allegiance, to me, falls under this this, this um this passage, this verse. And what does Jesus say about it? He just said, you're not supposed to do that um, as far as swearing falsely. So that if you swear to do something, you're supposed to do it. Here's what Jesus tells us Christians, what the Christian standard is as far as making promises, making oaths, swearing to do things and all of that. Verse 34, but I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. So there it is there. Jesus is going to go further with letting us know. But it starts out, he starts out letting us know. We're not supposed to make promises, vows, swearing to do anything. And to me, that includes the Pledge of Allegiance. Or even if you're in court and you have to um, testify, you don't have to swear. You can do like Jesus said does. You can affirm. That way you don't cross this line. Because Jesus is making it clear. You're not supposed to swear anything. You're not supposed to make supposed to make promises at all and that includes the marriage vows that's why it's a part of this sermon that he's giving now i believe um you're not supposed to swear at all including marriage um you just don't know and i mean i think the reasoning behind it is you don't know you can't swear that you're going to do this that or the other because circumstances change emotions change and then you're, you're bound by that promise that oath you made when you didn't even have to be
could have just stayed together, just be happy together and be honest with each other and build together. And then if you're not, then you just go your separate ways. Verse 35, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So Jesus is saying, don't swear by any of those things. Don't swear by God's throne. So don't swear by heaven and earth. Don't swear by any of those things. Don't make promises at all is the point. Um, and one other thing to notice about that. Jesus just told us, don't swear by heaven, for it is God's throne. And then he says, what about the earth? Nor by the earth, for it is his footstool. So that means when Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and ascended, in that moment when he sat down at the right hand of God, as we Christians believe him to have done, then at that point, the earth was made his footstool. His enemies were made his footstool. I say that because some preachers will try to have you believe we have a role in making his enemies his footstool. That doesn't make sense. Jesus accomplished that in his mission already. We're just blessed enough to be a part of the rest of the mission. I don't know. I don't know why some people from the pulpit like to fool people or distort things, but they do. Verse 36, neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst make canst not make one hair white or black. So Jesus is saying, don't swear by your own head either. Um, because you have no control even over your hair. And you'll see even some preachers even um will twist this and make it quickly saying, Oh, well, Jesus didn't know about hair color back then. One, it's a it's a lie because coloring hair is an ancient thing. I think the very first people to do it were African people. I think in Egypt, don't quote me on that, but I think African civilizations were coloring their hair in ancient times, even before this. So one, it's a lie, or two, he's just missing, or he's misinformed. But it's also racist because that same preacher, and you can test your own preachers with this and see what they answer you. And it will tell you whether they tell you or not. Because if you ask someone if they're racist, they'll probably be offended and say they're not. Um, if you're not, you shouldn't be offended. You should only be offended if you are. That'd be like somebody asking me if I'm um, straight or I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the equivalent would be. But if you're not something, it wouldn't be offensive as offensive to you. If you're not that, you know, it's just not you. It's no big deal. You can brush it off. But if you are, then it would be offensive. One way you can test your pulpit, test your preacher, test yourself, is ask them, because this, this came up with a coworker of mine, ask them about the description of Jesus, what the Bible, ask about how the Bible describes Jesus' appearance. If, if you're a bigot, if you're a racist, if you're a white supremacist, uh, you'll say there's no description of Jesus in the Bible. And you'll see that even preachers on TV will tell you that, that, oh, they don't know of any description of Jesus in the Bible. It's a bold-faced lie because those same people will tell you everything from Genesis to Revelation is inspired by God. So it's true and you must believe it. Well, if that's true and you must believe it, Revelation tells us Jesus' skin complexion is like burnished bronze. That's dark brown. That's black. He's black. And he describes his hair as like wool. I don't know any white people with hair like wool. Even the most full, fully curly, kinkiest hair white people, say like Jewish people, for instance, even their hair, it's still not like wool. The only people I know with hair like wool, black people. So if a, if a person really believes what they say 
about Genesis to Revelation being the truth and inspired by God, then only a bigot would deny that Jesus was clearly not, at the very least, he wasn't white. He clearly wasn't blonde and blue. If you don't have to take my word for it, you can search yourself. It's in the book of Revelation. We read it already. So only a bigot would have an issue with accepting that. Because why would you be able to accept all the other stuff? Like the animal sacrifices, the bigotry, the massacres, the the rapes, the, the anti-LGBT stuff. You can accept all that stuff, but you can't accept that Jesus was black. That's sick. Verse 37, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatever is more than these cometh of evil. Let me respeak that. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these yeah, of evil. So Jesus is saying, um, you don't have to swear, should not swear, do not swear at all. Just let a yes be yes, a no be a no. Either agree to do something and do it, or say you're not going to do something and don't do it. But don't make promises to do things at all. That's offensive. That's where the sin is. That's where the offense is. That's where the lie is. That's where the danger is. Um, and Jesus is letting us know anything more than yes or no, yes, I'll do it, or no, I won't, is actually from the evil one. It's rooted in the devil to make promises, to swear oaths, to make pledges, any of that stuff, all of those things are evil. It's from Jesus' mouth himself. Uh, we read it just now, but that was the last verse in this chapter. I'm sorry, in this portion. I know we did two there. I intend to only do those two verses at first. It was in the New King James Version when I said that, and I saw that the second part goes with the part about marriage, so I figured why not. Um... And it reads so much smoother. So maybe we'll stick with the New King James Version as we do these, um, but still use the King James as a reference for when those differences come. Like when it says Hades in some places, but it actually means hell in the original form. So I'll try to be mindful of that as we move ahead, God willing. Moving ahead, though, we'll end this part and move on to the last part of our reading, which is the passage of the day. And let me see, I think we're up to number 31. If I remember right, let me see. That's Matthew chapter 10. Let's see, oh, just a couple of chapters from where we are here. Sorry, so slow, I'm getting used to this new format here on Anchor, where it doesn't let you pause. You have to keep it really, keep it moving, so let's see. So Matthew 10, verse 8 is our passage of the day. And as it pulls it up, it is... Where are you? Here we go. So, okay, Matthew 10, verse 8 is our passage of the day. Um, and it is... Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received freely give. So why this passage, this verse stands out to me? Um, not so much the first part about the healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, raising the dead. This is happening as Jesus is sending the disciples out to evangelize, basically, to gather, to spread the word, to share the good news, the gospel to people, and um, prepare the way as he moves along on his mission. 
So um, those signs that they've been told they could do, that's part of that. I don't necessarily believe we, in, as Christians in general, can perform these kind of things. I think they were granted those powers specifically so that people um, would believe back then and be prepared for the miracles and message that Jesus would follow up with when he got to the areas where the 12 disciples were uh, um, sent out to. And in one point, it even says 70 were sent out to the different areas where Jesus was going and was heading to. So I think that's what those, the healings are in the miracles were about. Um, but in modern times, it could apply also to Christians beyond just the original ones sent out because there are physicians, doctors, nurses, healthcare workers, um, sitters, um, nannies, all kinds of people take care of other people who are of the Christian faith and they work in healing people, helping people. So in that sense, it could apply to us in modern times. As far as cleansing the lepers, Leprosy has been pretty much eradicated, but not completely. It still exists. Um, so, but it could apply in modern times again with healthcare workers and such. Raising the dead, again, it could apply to healthcare workers because people have been resurrected on the operating table. People have died before and come back to life without um, with medical means. I believe it's by God's will, so still a miracle. But even if you're not a believer, of different things like defibrillators and such medications, um, different things can be done to revive people, have been done, documented to have been done to revive people after they've expired, after they've died. Um, let me see, but the last part, that's the part why, why, that I really focus on as far as my daily meditations uh, from this verse, that freely you have received, freely give. To me, that's the the meat of the media's part of that verse. It's just as it tells me that when just as willing as you are to receive something that you want, just generally speaking, money or a, a great meal or fabulous clothes, a great pair of shoes, a nice car, whatever it is, you're so ready to receive. Be just as ready to give. Uh, not necessarily those things, unless you got it like that. If you got it like that, then yeah, be freely with giving that too. I think that's what's why, for me, that's why this verse stands out as a passage um, to remember and a verse to uh, focus on, because it reminds me that um, to freely give, we've been blessed uh, with little or with much. Freely share it, especially with people who don't have. Otherwise, what are you doing any different? in the rest of the world. Uh, that was the last part of this verse. And so that's where we will actually end this um, reading of the Naked Truth. I'm going to list it now as um, the um, Living Water Chapel says, to pay homage to my sites that I had before, tscreamangelandhungtgirl.com, respectively. That's what it was known as on there. So to, for that sake, I'm going to call it Living Water Chapel now rather than the naked truth. Um, so if hopefully it'll still be easy to find um, there or wherever you're hearing me from. And hopefully this finds you well, well, wherever you're hearing me. God bless you. Love you. And thank you for joining me. Hope to see you again. And hope it's a blessing for you. Peace be with you.